The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Welcome to That's So Retrograde, guys. This is Elizabeth Cott. I am one of your hosts. And what we're doing today is just wanted to do a little extra bonus episode to interview my co-host with the mostest, Stephanie Simbari. Welcome to the show. This is like really exciting. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> I just kind of feel like we've been doing this show for however many years. I don't know if we've ever done like a proper Q&A with one another. So I thought like I wanted to interview you and just kind of give the opportunity for our audience to get to know the sweet, sweet soul that I know so well. And these are some questions that I put together that I'm just genuinely curious about for you. And then I have some quick fire at the end. I thought we could revisit the quick fire we did at the beginning of from our quarantine routine episode. She loves a quick fire. My girl. Love a quick fire. You want to know why? <laughs> what? Brevity is king, my friend. <laughs> You're adapting the quote, brevity is the soul of wit. Yep. <laughs> so I kind of want to start at the beginning and have it be astro focused because I feel like that's where your heart is so beautifully landing. Where were you born and what are your astro signs? Oh, wow. Uh, we're really taking it back to the beginning. Really taking it back to like <laughs> day one, actually. Well, I was born 23 days early on November 3rd, 1985 in White Plains, New York. I was born as a Scorpio, sun sign Scorpio. And then in my 30s, I learned all the rest of the things, which looking back, I really do wish that I had like had all this information like in my teens and 20s. I don't know. I was very like, fiery and explosive as an individual, as like a child. And I think if I had known to nurture my more sensitive side, maybe I could have avoided some stress or known just like, hey, when you're having a freak out, like hop in that tub. You know what I mean? So you feel like it could have helped inform who you were a little bit more. Yeah. So like my moon is in cancer, my rising is Taurus. And then like, I know all my other signs too. If you care about those, we've got a Mercury in Sag. We've got Venus and Mars in Libra. Okay. So for you and astrology, like what role does it play in your life? I would say it's like a map to understanding myself on a deeper level. Like I observe, you know, like the transits in the bigger sense of the word as far as like what's going on like collectively because it helps me to understand that, you know, when other people are kind of being dicks or not being responsive or whatever, it's like everyone's going through something. And a lot of times we're going through things together. We just deal with them differently. And so it helps to also like not take things personally as much. The rising sign really dominated my youth in a way where like I tried to protect my sensitivity with my like easy, outgoing, bullish personality, but it always felt like a mask. And I was always kind of like at war with myself about that where like I felt sensitive, but I couldn't access it. So like learning about that has really helped me just like nurture those attributes and not feel like alienated from myself. Poetic. I love that. I'm telling you, like it can give you like a sense of liberation within yourself and also 
like how we interact with the world. What was your favorite book when you were growing up? I read every single Judy Bloom book. I think maybe my favorite book as like a tween was Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I was a big blubber girl myself. Blubber. Oh my God. We should like revisit the Judy Bloom catalog because it really informed my youth. But then as I got older, like in college and high school, I started reading more like humorists. And a book that really changed my life was A Heartbreaking Work of Staggering Genius by Dave Eggers. That is one of my favorite books of all time. And then I think around that same time, I also read The Fountainhead, which also changed my life. Ayan Rand. Her philosophy on life really shifted things for me. You know, there's like seminal like leaders and teachers that kind of like inform you in certain ages where you're like, okay, I grew up around a certain like ideology and a certain like way of being, but it doesn't necessarily feel like I'm aligned all the way with kind of the way that the people around me operate. And Ayn Rand was one of those people where I was like, now this is how I fucking feel like the world actually is. My grandma before she passed away got super into her and was reading her. We were talking about it. it was- Have you read any of her books? I haven't. A must. Homework. Homework for your girl. I didn't finish Atlas Shrugged because I think I picked it up at a time when I was like, oh, reading like a 1200 page book. It feels like a lot. I think everyone should read her just like really an exercise in free thought. Okay. So we're covering books of your childhood and growing up. I was wondering if you were like a fan of anything. Like, were you a super fan? Like was fandom in your DNA as a kid, as a teen, as a tween? I was a huge Michael Jackson fan. I was obsessed with Michael Jackson. And I remember the first time I saw the Thriller video and I, it's like my brain exploded out of my my head. I was like, what am I watching? This is so crazy, special, unique. I went and did Halloween with Lauren, L.E.K. And we walked around her neighborhood with her daughter and, and there was the Thriller music video was being projected on a lawn in like a Halloween display. I saw her joy in watching the video and I was completely transported. It's like my own joy. And I was like, It just has that like lives outside of time and space, incredible quality. And I was obsessed with the Eagles because my dad was obsessed with, I was in love with Glenn Frey because I thought that he looked like a hot Frankenstein. But I wasn't a fan of like the traditional like things that we talk about from our youth. Like everyone was obsessed with NSYNC or like Backstreet Boys or like, NKOTB and like all that stuff. Like I just- You marched to your own beat. It was never on my radar. Yeah, it's kind of like looking back, I'm like sad. Like who was my, I remember I had like a Joey McIntyre Ken doll, but I don't think I really connected the dots on that. I was like, I missed the boat on NKOTB. My mom was like not really letting me get into it. A couple of years ago, Justine Marino took me to- an NKOTB concert where Nelly and TL- oh, oh, TLC, I would die on the hill of TLC. I used to fucking listen to their CDs, record myself singing over their albums, and then tell my little cousins that I met them and I was in the recording studio. At the- <laughs> That's so Amazing. funny and fucked up. <laughs> I think they I were my that. number one. This is a break that we're taking from the Stephanie Simbari deep dive that we're having today. This isn't really just any ad. We're talking about Handel Group's Inner You course, which is something that we've talked about many times on this show and many times off the show. 
Inner You is a 12-session online course that gives you the tools to hack into your own life, hone your dreams, and have every last thing you want in the areas that matter to you most. So that's career, money, love, time, family, health. You guys know Lauren Zander. She's a multi-time guest. She's the co-founder of Handel Group and an executive life coach, author, creator of The Method and The Course. And she is the coach who coaches Stephanie Simbari. Yes, she is. She has been giving me the runaround, guys. And as resistant as this bitch is, I'm also so grateful because a lot of the concepts and exercises and conversations and tools that she's offered me have really changed the way that I operate. And I'm so, so grateful. And it's interesting because, you know, you, you kind of, you get to certain points in your life and you think, I'm good. And then you hit another wall and you don't really know which way to turn. And so it's really awesome to be able to find a technique and a person that keeps you accountable and offers you a way to level up that feels accessible. And yes, it's challenging, but in a good way. I have also have a coach with Handel, Angie. Hi, Angie, who has, I think it's helped me to level up in particular this time to really hone in on the shit I needed to work on in my life. Even if I didn't even notice that it was something that needed my attention. And I feel like I just show up to the world with just a more, a truthful version, not a more truth. I learned how to tell the truth in a way that serves me and my people around me. So if you sign up for interview, this is what you get. You get 12 audio coaching sessions 14 homework assignments, and an interactive promise tractor that syncs with your personal calendar to teach the principle of personal integrity, plus one free private coaching call. You also get access to the community of like-minded people. You have access to Inner University, which includes a six-week group coaching masterclass that meets once a week live, integrates all the aspects of yourself to know, like you said, like, what you're not really looking at and what's blocking you. Yeah. It's like really been about for me, like just personal integrity and strengthening that muscle. And I actually feel more confident in every area of my life. The most important work I've done and a gift to give yourself. And what we're so excited is that we have the opportunity to offer half off of their inner you coaching. So instead of $650, it's $325 when you use the code retrograde 75 at innerU.coach, which is the website. We're going to link it here. So again, we're half off with code retrograde 75. It's like basically one pandemic trip to the grocery store and your life gets changed. (laughs) That's innerU.coach code retrograde 75. Back to Steph. More questions about growing up. So we're about to hit summer. It's summer, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah, apparently. How did you spend your summers as a kid? I know you went to a pretty cool camp. I was always going to camp. Started off day camping. Shout out to Camp Nabby. Shout out to Camp Kiwi. Mostly Camp Kiwi because I didn't really like Camp Nabby. Oh, Camp Kiwi. I had so many crushes. Oh, that was, those were some such good times. Wow. I started going to sleepaway camp. I went to sleepaway gymnastics camp, international gymnastics camp. And that's where I first learned to do my laundry. I was eight years old and I put my sleeping bag in the washing machine and then had to sleep in a 
moldy sleeping bag for the next two weeks because somebody let an eight-year-old do their laundry. Oh, no. (laughs) And didn't understand that that's not, you can't put down in a dryer. And then I went to sleepaway tennis camp. And then I discovered Frenchwoods Festival of the Performing Arts Sleepaway Camp, which is where I met some of our great friends that we have today. Hale Appleman, Olivia Thurlby, Max Jenkins, like all of my friends that I'm still friends with. Pamela Price. Pamela Price. I'm continuously obsessed with people that we meet early in life and how they follow us through out different eras of our existence. It's like my favorite thing. Totally. And I could have never like anticipated that, like the return of like Hale and Pamela. And first of all, like Pamela, I didn't really know at camp because she was not in my bunk. And I don't know that we went there during the same sessions. She knew my brother, but like Hale and like Tanner was a camp friend, but Hale, I ran into Ariel RC from, from who we hung out with in New York a bunch. Of, like, it's just so crazy. The return of them really happened. It was like during high school, we all hung out and then we lost touch. And then when I moved to New York after college, I ran into Hill on the street that we were 21 years old. It's really special because I don't have those relationships with people that I even like grew up with in my town. I think there's something to be said about when you choose to go somewhere. You know, you don't really choose where you grew up. You can't really choose who you go to high school with. You... You're just there proximity-based, but like with camp, it's like interest-based. And so it's you're already landing on more equal footing. And so it, it does make sense yeah, that you'd like still have that soul connection like later in life because you think we're probably more who we are as adults as we were as children than we are any other time. The, uh, the weirdest job you've ever had. Um, the weirdest job I've ever had. I don't think it's the weirdest, but it's the one that people seem to think is the most interesting is… I was the box girl at the Standard Hotel. To add clarity, the Sex and the City episode where they come to LA Mm -hmm. and they're at the hotel at the Standard. Yeah. So basically, they think of it as like living art. Yeah, like a a performance piece. Performance piece. I think Tilda Swinton originated this notion at like MoMA or something. And then the Standard sort of like took it onto their own. It might not be MoMA, but it's a museum of some some high… Regard. Regard. And uh, But I think it is MoMA. Or maybe it was the Tate. It feels maybe it was the Tate. Anyways, she the thing is, is it's like behind the front desk, there's a glass case, and they they design it every month in like a different motif. And the girl has to just dress in all white. And your only job is to just like lay there and you can't like interact. You can't like make eye contact with people. Like when they wave to you, you have to pretend like they're not there. So it's like this voyeurism kind of thing. I mean, I used to just like get really high and like take naps or like FaceTime my friends or like write jokes or… How much does something like that pay? It changed. So when I first got the job, it was like $150 for like six hours or something. But then they cut the hours down to four hours and then they cut the price and they had like more girls. They didn't really need to like pay you as much. That was a while. That was such a weird, I mean, it's the perfect job for me because I literally got to do nothing and do whatever I want. Like, and then just like be looking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like when I was doing my yoga teacher training, I had that job. So I would like do yoga in the box. Like I just, I treated it like I was just getting paid to do exactly what I was doing in my apartment. One time I was supposed to go and I didn't have my little like white shorts and white tank top clean shocker. 
So I fucking cut leg holes in a white pillowcase, put my leg hole, my legs, leg holes, pulled the pillowcase up, pinned it to a bra and wore a pillowcase to the standard. And I was just like, this is uh, the sign of a girl who's deeply unhinged. (laughs) And who doesn't have laundry in unit. No. Elizabeth, I bet you're very excited right now because I know this is my interview, but we're now talking about your granola. Yeah, my ego is like up and ready. She's flaring. She's ready to go because we're talking about purely Elizabeth granola. No affiliation to me, but like in my head, it's mine. Yeah, no. I mean, when I first saw it, I was like, wow, Elizabeth has a side hustle. I didn't even know. (laughs) (laughs) It's purely Elizabeth grain-free granola with MCT oil. Not only gluten-free, but non-GMO, vegan, keto, paleo, and grain-free. I'm on Whole30 right now, so that's really nice. Anyway, we love Purely Elizabeth a whole bunch. We're super excited to be partnering with them. Joey just, I don't know if you guys heard, he just said, I love them. Their boyfriend approved. He likes it. He likes it, he says. (laughs) My favorite flavor is the vanilla almond butter. They also have a cinnamon peanut butter. Both of those have the MCT oil in them. Great in the morning, great at night, great during the day, great all the time. So you get 25% off your first order on all Purely Elizabeth products and try their new chocolate hazelnut granola. Side note, use the code retrograde when you head to purelyelizabeth.com. You'll get 25% off. All right, guys, it's purelyelizabeth.com, code retrograde, 25% off. Get it for the people that you entertain, get it for yourself and get out of here. And now back to Steph. What did you want to be when you were growing up on that job stuff? I think I wanted to be an actor. I never really had career goals. I remember I would get into so many fights with my parents and the argument would go like this. Don't you want me to be happy? And they'd be like, yeah, but <laughs> you know, my whole goal was just like finding my own happiness. I mean, the things I was interested in, I was always... I always excelled at writing and I always was in theater and doing like side theater projects and like doing community theater and doing the plays at school. But it was hard for me to admit it. Like my brother really young was like, I want to be an actor and got like headshots and, you know, he was like auditioning and it was like a whole thing. Is one of those headshots what we use for our Our original company? Yeah. Perfect. I'm I still I'm still waiting for the day that we get to use that as like a slate card at the end of something. But part of like being a Scorpio in a weird way is being like oddly shy. Even though I'm like outgoing, like I have this like shy, like secretive side. And I think that's why I gravitate towards writing because it feels like I can communicate through my fingertips and just kind of be like removed from it instead of having to like, I don't know, put myself out there. Like even though it's just interesting like that my adult life, I became this like put yourself out there person because that was never really something that I was like comfortable with. What tips would you give someone who's like really feeling the call to write but doesn't know where to start? I regret deeply not starting to put it out there sooner. Like with the show that I sold last year, I would have never put that out there if it wasn't for my writing partner who forced me to put it out there. Like I have no concept of my own ability in that way. I know it feels good, but then when I read it back in the moment, I'm like, I might be crazy, but it sucks because then like six months later, I'll read it and I'm like, who wrote that? That's brilliant. And then I'm like, oh, and I 
perpetually forget that I have that experience. So I guess the advice is find somebody that you trust who could give you feedback and kind of make it feel like realized for you, you know, or someone you can work with. Like with the show, that was someone who I worked with who actually became, you know, kind of a teacher to me. Like Aaron was such a accomplished screenwriter before that. And that's like why I went to him with my idea because I was like, you know how to do this and I don't. What do you think? And through the process of us working together, I really learned kind of how to do it. Even to this day, like now what I'm working on, like there's going to come a time probably in like a few months where I send you like 20 pages and I'm like, I need you to read this and tell me if this is like the musings of an insane person or something that could actually like help the world. Because it's hard to like know. So I would say my two pieces of advice are just do it. And then consult a trusted person to just give you their honest thoughts. It doesn't have to be another writer. It can just be a friend. Can you talk a little bit about that script experience that you had and what that was all about? Because I feel like our our listeners would would be interested. Yeah. I mean, I still want to make the show. (laughs) So maybe if we talk about it, it'll get made. So I had an idea in the end of 2017, I think maybe. It felt like a really good idea. Like I was like this... I kept coming back to it. I was like, this is like a, a really good way to tell a story. This is something that I know a lot about. And I, I, but I was paralyzed with feeling like, wow, I'm 32 or 31 or however old I was. I have never written a script before. I've only ever written jokes. Like I had read Save the Cat, like the screenwriter's book. But to me, it's hard to learn how to, to do something through a book. I need to learn to do by doing. Yeah. But I felt like it was kind of too late to go back to school because I was like, what am I going to go to like grad school for screen? It just all felt like, I don't know, very insurmountable. So I did the next right considered action, as Nicole Sachs would say. And I just consulted someone that I trusted that he had been writing and he kept always asking me to give him notes and punch up his scripts. And so I was like, oh, this is a person who thinks that I have like value like intellectual value and creative value. And I think he's brilliant. So it would just make sense that I'm not a fucking total idiot. (laughs) You know, like I can just follow logic. So anyways, he liked the idea. I had put together a pitch and he was like, you know, I think this is so important and so interesting. I would love to kind of partner with you on this. And we entered a creative partnership. Became so much more than I think both of us sort of thought it would be. Kind of like with us, like we just kind of started doing something for fun. And then all of a sudden, like, it becomes real. Yeah, we're married. We're married. And the stakes become extremely high. I mean, we're married to the point where when I was working with Aaron, you had a dream that Aaron was fucking your mom, right? I did. And then I was like unpacking it the next morning and I was like, oh, I get it. Steph's my mom. Steph's my mom. And Himmy in her or is is uh, energetically fucking her. He's in my house and he's taking up my space. And Timmy and I talked about it. We had a really cute conversation about it. And then when he met my mom, it was weird. <laughs> Did he meet your mom? Yeah. <laughs> he was probably so in his head about that. <laughs> That's so funny. You know, long story long, basically we started writing. We worked on Skype for about eight months because he wasn't living here. We wrote this pilot and he was like, I think it's really good. And I was like, I think it's really good too. And then in my head, I'm like, cool, it's really good. Like, let's just never show it to anybody. Like, you know, we did it. And he's like, I think you should send it to Sarah. And because Sarah Silverman had said, you know, if you ever write anything, like, of course I'll read it. Like just being a friend. 
dude, I would not send it to her. Every day he was like, did you send it to Sarah? And I was like completely paralyzed. Could not, would not. I was so afraid to be rejected or be judged or I don't know, like exposed as a fraud in some way. Like there was just a lot. High stakes. Yeah. And he was like, I'm telling you, it's good. Like you trust me, right? And he's like, and I've sent it to our other friends and they think it's good. So he was badgering me pretty much. And then I finally sent it and she was like, she's like, I'm so impressed. Like I barely have any notes. Like the structure is so good. Like the story is so good. And I just was like, structure. I was, of course, was like, it's all Aaron. Aaron did everything, you know, like, because I really did feel like that too. Like I felt like I have great ideas, but he really took me under his wing as far as like structure is concerned and kind of teaching me how to like tell a story in a way that makes sense. And he's a filmmaker. So it was a big learning process, but it was also validating in that, that my ideas aren't trash. If I do say so, it is one of the best pilots I've ever read. That's so nice. And I've actually read a lot of pilots. I'm Living sure. in LA for 12 years, you end up reading a lot of scripts your friends write. <laughs> it's and a rite of passage. <laughs> really, truly, truly. And I love it so much. I really, really appreciate that. We optioned it. We developed it, which in showbiz terms means like a production company basically says like, we like it. We think we can develop it deeper. We know what the market is, blah, blah, blah. Then all these ideas get in, start getting in your head. And I shit you not, we rewrote that pilot 14 times over the course of all of 2018 and 2019. It was one of the most rigorous, intense, challenging, creative experiences I've ever had. I was learning so much, but also highly emotional because I cared about it so much. We ended up pitching it to network in the beginning of last year during a time that I personally felt it wasn't ready for, but I also wasn't really trusting myself. The retrograde of Mercury was happening. (laughs) And it was also like Pisces season and Shannon kept being like, this isn't a good time for new ideas to get germinated. I was also like, if we don't pitch it now, is are we never going to pitch it? And Sarah was like, we should just pitch it. And it was just a lot of different ideas going into another lesson in silencing the noise, listening to yourself, your intuition. It's very difficult to listen to your own intuition when you feel like you don't have any power or experience. And all these people who have all this experience are telling you what you should do. And there's like nine different voices in your head. It's like really, really hard and really, really stressful. And Aaron had my back a hundred percent, but was also anxious to pitch it. You know, there's no way to know whether it's the right timing or not, or whether you're coming from fear. It's very intense. We ended up not selling it to network, but what's interesting is with everything that's happening right now in the world and everything that I've experienced since not selling it, I feel that we're coming to a time that might actually be more right for it. And I'm finally over the trauma of the heartbreak of not selling it and ready to open it back up again and say, okay, how can we elevate this? How can we include a deeper level of conversation and go back out with it? Because I I don't think anyone is going to tell that story in the way that I can tell it. So I kind of think maybe down the line that'll that'll exist in the world. Are you ready for quick fire? Sorry, was that so long? No, love that you just shared that story because I don't think we ever really talked about that on the show in that depth. So we never did. And it was something that I was like going through. That was like my whole entire truth for two years. 
And it was yeah. really hard. And of course, you weren't going to talk about it on the show because it was like close to the chest and something that working on head down so diligently. Yeah. And now there's a different perspective on it. So now's the, now is the time. Thanks for letting me share it. Of course. I am in awe of what you guys created and I believe that it will see the world. I think that I am just maybe not meant to play that character. It was meant to be a vehicle for me. And I think that for that particular show, it could be better served played by a younger actress. And I'm kind of more interested in being like the showrunner of it instead of the actor. But I think I might need more experience for that. So trying to get something else going and then revisit that and see what happens. Love. It's just really, wow. I mean, but you know what's crazy? I feel like now with everything that's happening with like the shutdown and things moving around, like the way that the industry, and I think a lot of industries have this is like, and we've even experienced this in podcasting of people being like, well, this is just the way it's done. And this is what the market wants. And this, and they have everyone in all these higher level positions, not to say that they don't have a valuable perspective, but when there's so much money at stake, people tend to cling to thoughts that they feel like are concrete so that it feels safer to take risks. And I think now we're just entering this whole new landscape where risks are becoming essential because who the fuck knows what even works anymore. I'm really kind of excited to be in that zone. This is the way it's done. I feel like for you and I have gotten that so many times and it's our least favorite term. Yeah, it's like, cool, this is the way it's done and 90% of everything is trash. So <laughs> let's- Maybe let's do it different. Try something a little different. These are questions that I asked you during our quarantine routine episode from the beginning of March, way back when. And I thought we could revisit because I just think they're fun and easy and cute. Okay, so- What's your fave beauty product right now, Steph? Oh my God. I got. <laughs> oh my God. I got. My beauty product? Could I just go more like bathroom product? Because I've like yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much ceased beautifying myself. Although I do love our, that Ilia like tinted serum. Yeah, that's squalene oil serum. Yeah, I love that. I love that Kager Weiss. Um, I don't know if that's how you pronounce it. The blush. Nusha, Rejuvenate with Nusha, made this facial oil, this rose facial oil that's like so delightful. It's like CBD and rose and I'm obsessed with it. It smells so good. Whitney Cummings told me that grapeseed oil. Sorry. Hello. Accepting an invitation. Told me that grapeseed oil is like the best oil to use for your skin. And I just like trust her because her skin is like top level glow. Yeah, it really is. And she doesn't do any of the injectables in the places where it would make her face tight. So it's like all like oil and like rolling. So I've been using grapeseed oil and then I have like a bunch of different essential oils that I can mix it with so I can have like different body scents. So I'm doing like sometimes ylang ylang, sometimes cedarwood, sometimes rose. And it's like, I like doing it like that instead of buying like really overpriced body oil that basically She's is doing She's a DIY queen, guys. DIY like queen, that's right. That's right, yeah. I mean, <laughs> You're like, I'm just using oils and layering different essential oils with it that I put out with the moon and charge with my crystals. Did I just say yilang yilang? <laughs> what are you watching right now? Am I okay? <laughs> Remember we were talking yesterday and I was like, every time we record anything lately, then I go by myself and I'm like, start to go into like a dark spiral. And you were like, 
I think it's just the weed and being alone. And then I started really thinking about that. And I'm like, yeah, like there is something very unnatural about like being alone. I've been seeing some people, but like the amount that I'm alone is like, it is a little spooky. Like it makes us just a little cuckoo. It's poetic, but it also is challenging. Everyone I know has hit a breaking point at this point. Like everyone's hit their bottom and it's kind of fabulous. Because we're like moving through it, but it's also like, let's acknowledge what it is. We're like, I think we're going crazy a little. Yeah, I like feel like I'm like, I have no concept if I'm okay or not. (laughs) (laughs) What a great place to be in. Like, uh, am I an insane person or am I like a genius or like what's going on? I'm glad that we're talking about this though, because I want to be honest about the way that I feel in general, because I feel like hosting the show, I keep trying to present my most positive, happy, like leadership self. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going to lie. And I know you feel the same way. We just haven't exactly spoken about this directly in like a regular show when we're co-hosting is that I'm finding it very challenging to be someone that people want to listen to for uplifting information when I'm just like, not that I'm totally depressed, but I'm a strong neutral. Whereas other points in my life, I feel like I'm a little bit more like peppy and high level and like happy to bring the positivity and like happy to be the leader in that way. And now I'm just kind of like, you know, feeling a little bit less, you know, jazzed about. Optimistic. Yeah. But we're working through it. We're, we're working through it. What am I watching? Um, I'm watching. Well, I already told everything that I'm watching on the regular show, but. This morning, I started watching Eric Andre's comedy special, which he's so funny. He's that's not not hooking up with Eric Andre is one of my comedy regrets. (laughs) (laughs) I remember when I went to his birthday party in Palm Springs, it was at this like really cool trailer park. I went with Jade and everyone was really cold. And I had a bunch of the richest fuck sweatshirts in the car. Went to go get them and I had just gotten a new car and I, I popped my trunk and I closed the trunk on my head and I had a full bloody gash while on mushrooms in the no. middle of the desert at a birthday party. And I like come back to Jade and I'm like, am I bleeding? She's like, yeah, full head trauma. No, that's that would happen at Eric's birthday party. Of course. We had such of a course. moment like it was probably like 20. 20- 10 or 2011, I had just broken up with my boyfriend and I was like freshly like frustrated, bothered by men, had a fight with my ex and then gone to a party. And I was just like in a fucking mood. Like it, it was ready a dark, to fuck. dark Steph's and Barry mood. No, I was not ready to fuck. <laughs> I was ready to like kill. And okay. Eric like popped out of like the crowd of people, beelined for me, got right in my face and was like, you're my wife. And I was like, get the fuck away from me. And he's like, give me your phone number and like forced me to give me his phone number. And I did. And then because I was like so heartbroken and so just like not into dating at that time, I like didn't give him the time of day. And then I remember like six months later, I saw him at a party and I was like, hey, like I'm ready to, and he was just like, (laughs) no. (laughs) He was like, you rejected me. And then I think I threw myself at him like four more times over the like the course of like the 12 years that we knew each other. And he was always just like, that was a one-time window of opportunity. (laughs) Eric, if you're listening, I'm still very alone. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and I'm sorry. He's really funny. And the special is great. What are you listening to right now? Um, nature sounds? to nature sounds. I've actually stopped listening to music when I go on hikes and I listen to Topanga. And I listen to Topanga from Boy Meets World. Um, just the sound bites. I've been listening to my horoscope playlist from Chani Nicholas. The best. She brings the heat so much. Freddie Gibbs has a new rap album, obviously Chromatica. Today I was driving down the PCH listening to Ani DeFranco and crying. Um, you know. The hits, the classics. Let me see what else is on my Spotify. I think that's good though, right? Who is the last person you FaceTimed other than me? Um, the last person I FaceTimed. Oh, also Fiona Apple, Fetch the Bolt Cutters. Ooh, really good. I think it was Whitney Cummings. What'd you guys talk about? We talked about sexual misconduct in comedy. I'm sure you guys are paying attention to some of the news with what's happening with male comedians getting called out for certain behaviors and toxic masculinity. And we talked a lot about our experience in that world. And it's something that's really hard to comment on because like realizing that you've been a prisoner and that the way that your captors treated you was like not okay. And it's like hard to unpack that because it's like mm-hmm. some of these people like are our friends. And like there are, obviously there's some like illegal shit that was happening and I'm not going to like speak to that necessarily just because like I hate the public court of social media. And I think that allegations are one thing, but actual legal action is another thing. And I believe that every individual has the right to a fair legal exploration and trial before they're convicted of a crime and fully canceled. I'm just not into the like quick to judge, quick to blame, quick to cancel. But it's true. Comedy's toxic. It's male dominated. It doesn't really want to support women. There's way less women on the lineups. I was introduced on stage as a fucking gash. It's like a bloody vagina. Like I definitely experienced like psychological abuse in comedy that should not be allowed. Here's my last super important question. Looking to the quick fires of previous months. What's your favorite snack right now? My favorite snack is me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Good answer. Thanks. Uh, My favorite snack is goji berries and macadamia nuts together in one bite. That's a Steven Simbari original. It's really, really, really good. Highly recommend. I love that. Yeah, it's energizing. It's sweet. It's salty. Okay, those are all my questions. You're such a good time, Steph. I want to dance with Simbare. Woo! I want to feel the heat with Simbare. That's right. I don't know oh if people God. know that, but that's that's Steph's theme song that we've doctored. That was my whole act in 2015. Now you're just Simbare that I used to know. Simbare! It was a whole, whole medley. <laughs> I was like, I don't feel like writing comedy anymore. I'm just going to look for songs with the words somebody in them and replace it with Simbare and do 20 minutes on that because I'm lazy as hell. Well, thanks for doing this. Tell our listeners where they can find you. Thank you for doing this. You can find me in my house, adult coloring book and reading biopics from the mid 60s and our biographies. Um, and on the internet, I, I don't know what my relationship with Instagram is going to be moving forward. I um, checked it on my computer recently to check my messages, which I think is fine because it doesn't, I don't yeah. care about scrolling that. I'm not like into looking at it. So I guess you can message me there, but I also left my email address, Stephanie at that's a retrograde.com if you want to talk to me personally. 
And then I'm on Twitter at Steph Sambari. Twitter's also a dumpster fire, but for some reason it works better for me. All right. That's the show. And that's it. Thanks so much. I hope that people like this. Did everything I say make sense? Did I sound like an apologist? No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think you sounded like you were speaking the truth. Okay, cool. From your experience. And I think that's a beautiful place to be coming from always. Thanks so much. Love you. Love you. Bye. Yes, that's a retrograde.